no matter what life brings me, I take it with joy. And that's the first sign that you're walking in the right path. And it's not a fake joy. It's not the smile that you just need to smile and bear it and grin it and pretend like it's all okay. No, just from the inside, you're like, okay, I see you life. You're playing with me, but I'm not getting played today. And that's when you know you're walking the path towards divinity. Because if the scriptures are right, which is, it says you are God, which God will get agitated with anything happening, whether there's a technical challenge or there's no power or whatever it is. No God will get agitated by these things. So that's the first, I think, signpost for us to check if we're on the right path that it's okay. Everything that comes happens for the right reason. Everything that leaves happens for the right reason. And I can handle both with ease. Welcome to A Curious Yogi Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby, here to illuminate your practice as we discover what it means to walk the yogi's path. Together with wise friends and awakening teachers, we uncover the answers to our greatest questions. I'm so delighted you're here. Now let's get curious. Today's guest is a true spark of delight and wisdom all packed into one. Rohini Manohar describes her quest for joy as one that began with curiosity and wound up bringing her into a lifelong love affair with yoga. A potent storyteller and popular yoga teacher in southern India, she has a unique story and deep conviction that shines with such positivity. Rohini is the founder of the Chennai Yoga Studio and Mitra Yoga Festival, along with the author of five children's books. She is currently writing school curriculum based on yoga and Ayurveda for the new education policy in India. Rohini has also been awarded multiple awards for her contribution to yoga by the central government. All this plus her totally radiant, contagious approach to life. I'd say her quest for joy seems to be spot on. So let's all take a little inspiration from Rohini today and enjoy the episode. Welcome to A Curious Yogi Podcast, Rohini. It's such a delight to have you here. Thank you, Bobby. It's a pleasure to meet and connect with you again. It's been forever and I'm really happy to be able to connect with you again. The first time I met you, my partner and I met you at the International Yoga Fest in 2020 and your class made such an impact on us. We always remembered it. We did this warrior flow and then in this year at the Yoga Festival we got to do your Surya Namaskar practice and I just so appreciate the sincerity and the sweetness and the power also that you bring to your classes. It's so inspiring and I just really want to start by appreciating you. Thank you. It really means a lot. Because, you know, truthfully, even though I've been teaching for so many years, I think like all teachers, I'm always unsure if what I'm teaching is is helping people or allowing them to connect deeper. So it really means a lot when people say things that it helps uh, me understand that I'm on the right track. So thank you. A hundred percent. And I think something that's like was so memorable and inspiring about your practice is that it was very traditional and rooted and seeped in the wisdom of yoga. And yet it was very delightful and fun. And so you kind of have this beautiful way of bridging 
the wisdom, which some people can kind of take very seriously, but you have a way of bringing it so lighthearted to the practitioner, which is just like the perfect place to remember it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of it comes from how I was brought up here in India. Um, my practice of yoga was never really physical. From a very young age, it was story-based. My grandmother brought me up on stories. And those stories taught me a lot. They actually helped guide me to be better versions. There were days, days when I would doubt myself, question myself. And she would remind me of certain characters that went through the same sort of situation. And she would urge me to think of putting myself in their shoes. And so they always acted as, as um, things to help me lift my mind out of the mess and look at things a little bit differently. So I think that way of growing up helped me and it made that knowledge quite easy to access. And so when I share, I share from that perspective of stories are great. I think everyone loves stories. So I think they're a great way of uh, sharing wisdom in a palatable form without it feeling heavy. Mm -hmm. that's such a perfect way to describe it like making it palatable the the wisdom and and I love how you weave the yoga scriptures the Vedant and then with this beautiful vinyasa it's all wonderful and and because you have such a skill and a passion for storytelling I'd love if we could start the conversation off with you telling our listeners, the curious yogis, one of your most treasured myths or stories that's uh, inspired or related to your personal sadhana. Okay, so this is a, it's not a myth. It's a story that is told in Southern India. It's folklore, but it is said that in Southern India, we have a lot of monkeys, much like Rishikesh, but our monkeys are a lot more notorious. And when the monkey catchers of North India came to South India, they were surprised at how we were able to catch our monkeys without any specific devices. He would see that the monkeys would never come into the farms or into people's houses and rob things, but there were no devices to keep them away. So then he asked one, one fellow, he asked another friend, how are you training these monkeys to not come into your house? He says, there is a device. Wait, I'll show it to you. And so he brings out this really big coconut and then he cuts it in half. And so he thinks he's getting served coconut. He's like, no, no, the coconut's not for eating. So once the coconut gets sawed in half, the insides get taken away. A small hole is made on one side of that half coconut. And so this North Indian guy is just looking at this and saying, this is how you catch monkeys with a half coconut in a hole. And he says, yeah, yeah, just, just be patient. So he takes the half coconut and he places it just near his farm. And on the other side of the tiny hole, he places a very tasty ladu. And if you know, in India, we love our sweets. So the ladu is like this golden jeweled ball of yumminess. Um, everything sweet and delicious and divine. And he places a huge big ladu on the opposite side. And so the monkey, after a while, they're sitting and ch chatting and the guy's like, where's the monkey? There's no monkey. You haven't caught a monkey. What is this? So he says, just be patient. So they're sitting under a tree and just watching from a distance. And sure, lo and behold, I mean, there's a ladu there. So the monkey definitely comes. And he comes and he looks and he looks and he sees first that, that it's only through the, the lens of this 
green coconut. Like on the other side, you can see this little golden thing. So he walks closer and closer. And the monkey puts his hand through the tiny hole to grab hold of the laddu. And as soon as he grabs hold of the laddu, the man's like, come, let's go catch the monkey. It's like, are you mad? By the time we go there, it will run away. There's nothing holding the monkey down. Says, no, no, the monkey won't run away. So they walk closer and closer. The monkey is scared, but he's holding on really tightly to this laddu and he's not letting go. And as they go closer, the monkey is feeling quite jittery, but he's not letting go. And so they catch the monkey and they go. And when they go, and as they're walking, the South Indian says, if only the monkey learned to let go of the laddu, he would have been free. But because his hand had held on to the laddu on the other side, he no longer could pull it out through the tiny hole. And he got caught. And my teacher has often, oh, this is one of the first stories he told me, and he says, many times in life, we get attached to something much like that monkey. And then we get caught onto things. We get stuck with things. We get dragged into places that were never ever meant to be in only because we're too attached to something. It could be a way of practicing yoga. It could be a person. It could be a relationship. It could be a job. It could be a city. It could be anything. But we just hold on so tightly like that little monkey. And then we get caught. But if all we had to do is just let go, and the freedom would have been yours. You know trouble is coming. So you can let go. The choice is there. But we feel like that laddu just for that monkey, like for that monkey was his entire world and universe and his sustenance. We think the things on the other side are so essential, so important, so uh, such a deep part of our identity. We no longer know how to let go of the laddu, just like the monkey. So this is a story my teacher told me a long time ago when I was in school. But every time I get too attached to things, either a way a class goes or something in the studio or anything, it's a nice reminder that let go of the laddu. You're not a monkey. You evolved from there. You should hopefully be better than So yeah. That's a great story. Wow. And kind of like such a brilliant first story for your teacher to give you, even as a young person. Like it's kind of, you know, when I think of what we're doing as yoga practitioners or seekers on a spiritual path, it's kind of like such a, that attachment, that gripping, that clinging of our mind, like the clinging of the ladu is, is such a, it's not a hindrance, I guess, because it can also be a teacher, but would you say that's what we're doing in in the yoga practice truly? Absolutely. I think one of the most shocking questions my teacher asked me just two years back, because I'm a yoga teacher, I get quite attached to the things I do, like most people. And then one day he said, what if you could never practice again? What if you could never move your legs or your hands? What happens then? And I remember I was so shocked by that question because my asana, my pranayama meant so much. And I had to like, it took a moment to pause for me to pause and think about What is yoga then? Is it just the movement? Is it just the physicality of it? Is that what I'm getting stuck to? And now if you ask me the same question, I'm fine. You can take the practice away with me. I'll be absolutely okay. But I remember two years back, I I had no answer to that question. Like, what do you say? So it always helps remind me, you're right in the sense, you need something uh, like a discipline to attach you to something higher. So you step away from all that is lower. But even that you should not get too attached to. So 
yeah he teaches some hard lessons mm-hmm. in some good funny ways <laughs> well it's kind of, that's a good way to receive the hard lessons is isn't that like just like you i'm sure um having that kind of teaching has influenced how you teach like what has been your journey of coming to be a teacher now like you own a studio in chennai and you've reached like such a great level of success in your career but i know you are sincere in your own personal path so what's that journey been like so when i started out i was actually super indisciplined and um i couldn't keep my mind in one place i was distracted on the surface it looked fine but i knew deep inside i was i was not in the right space and so my yoga class was like a tool to bring discipline in the very beginning into my life just to keep myself there and practice so i actually started doing bikram yoga and, and it was i remember there was the first time somebody told me that you can't leave the room once you enter it and i was like what do you mean like you can't leave the room um so it it was a form of disciplining my mind and from there although the practice has has evolved beyond just bikram um that discipline has stuck i did bikram i did shivananda i did some yin trainings uh, taught from a uh, taught and learned across the world and then i knew i had to come back home to the root and the home of yoga so i came here and i started the studio in the basement of my parents house uh and then from there people came uh and then i had to build a proper studio so that's roughly the journey that that been on beautiful i read that you've been on a lifelong quest for joy which i love that because i also can relate to that sentiment was there like a particular life event or happening that inspired that quest for joy or was it always kind of an innate desire in you that seeker that searcher for that joy and delight and now i remember this moment very distinctly i was in australia i was working for the australian government um on the surface i was earning a lot of money i had everything perfect like enough vacation everything was perfect but i remember not waking up happy and i felt like anybody could do this job it was great i was doing my best but it i didn't wake up with joy i felt flat like a soda that had lost all its fizz um and i remember one day sitting on my bed and thinking when was the last time i was happy like i woke up with excitement that i wanted to share what i had in my heart with the world and the only place i could remember was back home in india so i was like fine i don't know the answers to anything but i'm going to go back to the space that helped me feel that way and so ever since that moment because until then i never took yoga seriously like i practiced it on a daily basis but that journey to search for joy to bring it in my body in my mind and my speech in my being came from that one question of when was the last time i was happy and then i did come here and i thought okay being here would make me happy but it didn't it drove me up the wall at the beginning and i thought fine i do social work and that didn't give me joy and so it was this constant question what is really giving me joy um and it and even now right i thought okay fine it was yoga but then luckily i, I just like you found an amazing teacher I, i found a teacher who's helped me look inside and said really is it just the practice or can it be more 
So it's always been that question, question, how can I find my joy in everything that I do? I can totally relate to you because when I had that moment in myself where I really was desiring more answers in my life, I was also in Australia. Yeah. And, I, and then I had never been to India, but somehow that journey brought me to India and which actually sparked the journey, which is more inward and looking. I also went to do social work. Let me help others and see if that helps. And, yeah, and like, exactly. you know, you kind of like the being inside that wants that freedom. Like you, it also, it's like kind of grabs for the lowest hanging fruit. Like, oh, I got to move here. I got to try this. I got to do that. And then like how beautiful the path is that kind of leads us all to really sit with ourselves to that place of unattachment, which your story was expressing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting also to hear the stories of different people that are really seeking truth in their lives to see the thread that flows through everybody. And everyone has such a unique journey and a unique story, but that sincerity, that oneness that's there, you can kind of reflect it and see it in another. Absolutely, yeah. I think yeah. that yearning is there, right? That, like you said, that quest for joy to see that there's more to life. There's, there has to be more. It can't just be this. That takes us across everything, across every everything that we meet in life, whether it be the low-hanging fruit or whether it's moving places. Um, it helps us find a way to even jump over them and look a little bit deeper. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So your, your teacher and your teachers have obviously been instrumental. And now you've, you came back to Chennai. You've been there for such a long time now. And you've built up this community with your studio and just your networks. Can you speak to how important the community is, the good company that you're around? Oh, my gosh, it matters a lot. I think it's there in the Bhagavad Gita. Satsanga is like the boat that takes you across the ocean. and. I know when I first came here on my own, people expected me to be the party girl from Australia. And it was good. Like I could play that role, but it really was not my joy. I, I can do it for you to be happy, but I didn't find joy out of it. And so it was really important to build this community and hold space for other people to go through this journey so that we are there for each other. Because I think sometimes very few people on the surface, we'll, we might look pretty much the same, but we see very different things to the majority of the world. And so when that space is held um, and you know that there are like-minded people, the path just becomes easier to walk on. It's easier to walk on because you know, okay, I'm not all alone and I'm not just lost in the forest. I have people there who are guiding me and I know for me my teacher was that and I just hope that through the community that I build here I, I share that space for other people to find what really gives them joy um, and that's that's essentially the point of what I'm doing that may they seek to become better versions of themselves whatever it is for them as of now yeah so I think this satsanga this community is so 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 essential because uh, on days when you feel like you don't have the strength, you draw the energy from them. On the days that you feel empty, you can draw from them. They give you courage. They give you encouragement. They give you love, support, just like you give to the others. 
So it's like this beautiful two-way street that really helps. So I, I think it's so essential for any spiritual seeker. My teacher has told me a million times spirituality is uh, a lonely journey. And I agree, towards the end, it definitely is like your inner seeking must happen. But for yourself, that introspection must definitely happen. But when the community is there, it makes a world of difference to help you go deeper and stronger into your own personal sadhana. Because you have those reminders around you all the time. Mm, yeah, deeper and stronger. I can definitely relate to that. My one friend, he's much older than me and wiser than me, but once he said to me, your sadhana is your personal work and you don't do it alone. And I just love mm. that because it's like, you know, we have both of these components. Yeah. We have to have our own personal desire, but to be around the company, the sangha is just like, mm, I love it. Yeah. I wouldn't swap so, it for anything else in the world. It's a very special yeah. feeling. <laughs> priceless, priceless. So I want to dig a little bit into your knowledge of true yoga. Not only, you know, a lot of the listeners are listening from the West where modern postural yoga is kind of, you know, it's everywhere and it's almost fanatical. And I want to ask you, what spiritual pillars would you say are essential to living yoga? I keep it really simple because this is how my teacher has taught me. He said, one is be brutally honest with yourself and, and that's the first most important thing I think when our mind tells us okay even the asana became a, even a crutch for me it was for a long period of time even the pranayama became a crutch for me but am I using this as a crutch to feel better in my body to feel better in my uh, appearance in whatever it is or can this be more am I becoming a better person by standing on my hands? Am I becoming a better person? Am I contributing to my society, to my community, to myself? Have I grown in the past five years or the two years or even in the last three months? And that level of brutal honesty is essential in yoga. Um, without sh To yourself, it doesn't need to be to the world, but that introspective nature of saying, why am I really doing and if your mind is telling you you're doing it for the wrong reasons, then listen and walk away. So I think that that introspective honesty is one of the most essential things for every yoga teacher, for every yoga practitioner. Just be really, really honest with ourselves. So that's the first thing I would say. And the second is do your sadhana. <laughs> on the days you like it on the days you don't like it on the days you want to on the days you don't want to do it um, it's it's essential even on the days that you don't want to it's it's like that boat that cross brings you across the ocean and those tiny seeds will slowly add up to build a forest inside your own mind and body so sow the seeds water them and uh, allow them to flourish so your asana practice is great. Your pranayama practice is great. It's helping you with that discipline. But don't stop there. Like those are, it's, it's like, a, you know, like I often say in class, your asana and your pranayama, for an artist, your paintbrush and your paint is important. But the paintbrush and paint have to create art. Your asana and your pranayama are those paintbrushes and the paints. Create art with them. There's more to life and look at creating that artwork. So what is the artwork you're creating with your life using these tools? At the end of the day, they're just tools. 
but can they become more for us in life? And that's the day we know that we're really using yoga to its fullest potential. Hmm. Yeah, what would you say? I want to come back to something else you said, but first, well, it's on my mind. I want to ask you, what would you say is the purpose of yoga, the goal of yoga, the intention of yoga? What's our, you know, what are we here for? So I think, I think the scriptures, everything directs us that the the goal of yoga is just self-discovery. And it's never on a superficial level. It's about really understanding who you are inside, deep inside. Okay? Um, we can go into a Vedantic perspective of who am I? Am I the body? Am I the mind? But if, if that's not where the mind goes right now, it's fine. Just start with the point of yoga is just really understanding yourself. And I'll just take you to that point of where I told you, you know, in the first Bikram yoga class I went to, I don't think I told you, but I fainted in my first yoga class. Uh, I went on my period day. I didn't eat breakfast or lunch. And I was like, oh yeah, Indians do yoga all the time. I mean, how hard can it be? And I went into the yoga class and in 20 minutes, I blacked out and fainted in my class. And I remember the teacher waking me up and saying, are you okay? And I was crying and I was like, please, can I leave this room? I want to leave now. And when I came out, there was so much emotion that burst out of my eyes that I was shocked at myself with how much I was crying because I've considered myself as a really strong, independent, fierce woman who never cried. And then here I was like bawling my eyes out after a yoga class. And I remember crying all alone, nobody else because everybody's still in their class. Wiping my tears all alone and then going to the bathroom and just looking at my face um, and I had to go to the bathroom as well. So I, I, my, like, I cleared my body in, in insane ways. Like I've never <laughs> pooped or puked that much. And, and it was such a shock, right? I was like, what is happening? One yoga class and what is happening to my body? And it would have been so easy at that moment to be like, oh, this yoga class is so irritating. I mean, how can they do this to me? Is this how they teach? But in that one moment, my mind went to see, this is the truth of the body. This is the truth of your mind that you've been hiding so much emotion that it's finally coming out. You've been hiding so much rubbish in your body. It's finally coming out. The choice, like my teacher says, my teachers give a, another analogy that he says, is like when you look into a mirror, you can see dirt on your face. And the choice is either to throw the mirror out and say, I don't like the mirror or wipe the dirt off your face. And so I remember that yoga class being that those lessons coming in my head saying okay don't throw the mirror you got to wipe the dirt off your face and so I went back the next day and the next day and the next day because I knew how much inner work I had to do on the surface I looked perfect but this is what I mean by self-discovery it starts very superficial is oh my god I have so much emotion stored in my body that I didn't realize but I have so much junk stored in my body that I didn't realize and then from there hopefully the path will lead you to discover more about yourself. Yeah, that's beautiful expression of that first yoga class. And um, when you think of that honesty that's required for the sadhana, like, I think it's so rare is the person that actually inquires into that, especially like when you felt it in such a physical, like visceral level, like you're right, a lot of people do at that moment turn away, like I can't do it, it's too hard. And like, the earnestness and the tapasya that's required to like actually go in towards that is so 
rare. I feel like you must see, do you see that as a teacher with certain students that come in and how rare is the one that's ready to sincerely step into the path and the practice? Yeah, because it's uncomfortable and I won't blame them like I've been there. So I understand our lives are spent finding comfort all the time. And then when you step into a yoga class and see the discomfort, you're like, why? Why Why do I have to go through this? But that's the truth of where you really are at. And it's okay. And see, that that's where the deeper introspection comes. It's like, I don't want to see this or it doesn't exist. It's not true. It, it does exist. So sit with it, work with it. You're still at the helm of your own ship, right? You can either choose to break through those things that you don't enjoy in yourself or you can just hide them under the carpet and pretend like they don't exist. So I think that honesty is so essential. And as teachers, I think it's so important we hold space for our students to look at all these dirty versions of themselves and say, it's okay. I've been there. I, I still am there on certain days. <laughs> and we're going through this together. It's okay. Would you say that that self-discovery and self-realization are kind of one and the same? I'd say they're like further down on the path. You know, you can start walking and it, like, uh, sorry, I'm quoting my teacher's sermon, but it rings in my head. So start walking and the path will get clearer. Just start. You start with that self-discovery and before you know it, it will be self-realization. Nice. That's beautiful. So before you mentioned about Vedant, and I know a lot of listeners aren't really that familiar with Vedant. I've had a few conversations on the podcast about Evade Vedant, and and uh, but a lot of people aren't aware really of Vedant, especially in relation to yoga. And, and can you throw a little bit of light onto that? Absolutely. Um, so very technically, Vedanta means the end of the Vedas. The Vedas are considered the four sacred books uh, that we always go back to. Hindus, uh, are, uh, the culture has a lot of books, but at the end of the day, what the Vedas say, uh, that is considered the most important. And at the end of those four books are the Veda Anta, Anta meaning the end. And what is interesting is the Anta contradicts, contradicts or tells you to let go of everything that you have done in the Veda part. So the Veda becomes like our discipline. Okay, do the daily practice, do your sadhana, do your pranayama, prasana, whatever it is. And the Anta says, that was your tool. Now wake up to something more. Don't get stuck in the tool. So the Vedanta element of yoga is to help you not get stuck anywhere. And to help you find find joy. And in, in very simple essence, the Vedanta uh, talks about you are divinity. This is just a, a play. So you have this game to play. It's like suppose you went into a little children's school, a little child's school, and they were kids were playing football. And you lost that game, you wouldn't get upset and you wouldn't huff and cry because it's just a game, it's just kids. And so it says divinity came down to play, play the game, laugh, cry, go through the experiences you wanted to, you wanted to and walk out of it. You just wanted to experience things. So that's essentially what Vedanta tells and how it helps yoga is because our tools, our disciplines are so important to most yoga teachers, we end up getting stuck there. So you need the Vedanta to say don't. Those are all, those are good. They were like, like my teacher says, one is uh, iron chains the other becomes golden chains 
but golden chains that are a little bit bigger are still chains nevertheless. You need to let go of them also. So uh, Vedanta helps you break even the sattvic habits that we get attached to. If your mind is still agitated, if you didn't practice today, if your mind is still agitated um, from not doing whatever it is, then that's causing agitation, which is the very opposite of what your practice should help you. Yeah, so Vedanta says it's to break away every chain, whether it's gold, silver, bigger, smaller, more well-designed, break away from the chains that disturb the mind. And it's there at the end of the Vedas. I hope that was helpful. <laughs> yes, it was. And I think too, just an element that we can invite in and explore in as, you know, sounds like, the way you're explaining it, Vedantas really is a way towards the freedom, which we all are, you know, yeah. which our true nature is that Jivan Mukti, you know, like the, the liberated being. And I think it's just so often overlooked and missed, you know, in, in yoga communities. Not and yet it's not because we come into the class wanting freedom. We want freedom from our illnesses. Every human being wants freedom. They want growth. This is non-negotiable. We do want it. But we want freedom from the things we don't like. We never think of, I want freedom from things I like also. And that's real yoga, right? That's the Vedanta. Go towards the things you like. But that should not control your mind at the end of the day. Like what happens in one morning for those of us that like coffee? One morning you don't get your coffee. Is it still causing you agitation in your mind? Then the coffee is controlling you. You're not controlling the coffee. It's still causing turbulence in your mind. So we do, we see, I think seeking freedom and growth comes quite naturally from all the things we don't like. But to, uh, from the things we like, now that's a harder journey. Hmm. And I guess that's the true freedom. And when we're thinking of freedom as, you know, moving towards that divine, like your teacher said, farther along in the path, what would you say are the signposts divinity to the to the that we're on the right path? How can we know as these earnest seekers, like we're headed towards that awareness and that freedom and that truth of the divine? So one of the first things I think is when you're able to humor or make fun of yourself, not in a self-deprecating or in dropping the ego kind of way, way but when you don't take look uh, it sometimes on the surface it looks both look very similar when you like when you make fun of yourself in a self-deprecating way but also when you make fun of yourself in a very light way you don't take yourself too seriously they both look similar on the surface but the mind is different one mind is where the mind is heavy and it's thinking of itself in a very negative light so it's pulling itself down. And the other mind is not taking anything too seriously because it knows the mind will change. Your mind was not the same when it was three years old. It was not. It's not the same when it's 13. It's not going to be the same when it's 30 or 60. So it understands that all of these are fluctuations of the mind. So when you see the lightness of life in, in all the good and the bad, that you're not too affected by it. Uh, again, to quote the Gita, he says, he who is calm when it is hot or cold, whether I'm in Chennai or I'm in Alaska, <laughs> if I'm not too agitated or not too disturbed by happiness or sadness, um, he is a yogi. So not that I am I'm attached to anything, that no matter what life brings me, I take it with joy. And that's the first sign and you're walking in the right path. And it's not a fake joy. It's not the smile that you just need to smile and bear it and grin it and pretend like it's all okay. No, just from the inside, 
They're like, okay, I see you live. You're playing with me, but I'm not getting played today. And that's when you know you're walking the path towards divinity. Because if the scriptures are right, which is, it says you are God, which God will get agitated with anything happening, whether there's a technical challenge or there's no power or whatever it is. No God will get agitated by these things. So that's the first, I think, signpost for us to check if we're on the right path that it's okay. Everything that comes happens for the right reason. Everything that leaves happens for the right reason. And I can handle both with ease. So, yeah, I think that's the first signpost we look for in our group. Yeah, I love what you said. If we're thinking of the mind of God, it kind of is that joyful, playful, like someone once said to me, God is the ultimate trickster. And I kind of have that sense sometimes like, yeah. you know, the universe is kind of unfolding this whole happening for our unfoldment to know our own self and how easy it is for us to get tricked into believing in that 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 mm -hmm. rigid mind and I think too because of the world that we live in the polarization the duality that just is in the waking state and the conditions that we pick up so it's it's so it can be so tricky to like differentiate and discern between that those two minds that you're speaking of if someone's listening and and they're you know it all makes perfect sense but in the sadhana in the practice how can we work to really inquire and discern between those two uh, parallel kind of minds that are in there at all times? If our eyes are open, even in the dream state, we see those two different plays in motion. I think this question sometimes negates how aware we are of ourselves. I think we know. Deep inside, we know. Um, and, and yet the mind this, as you said, was such a strong trickster that sometimes you convince your own self. You know it's the wrong thing to do and then you're, it, it's like, even if you need to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning and you put on the alarm in like 5 more minutes, it doesn't matter. I slept really late. You know it's not the right thing to do. So inside you know the voice. But the thing is, we're so used to familiarity of a certain pattern that you choose the other path. Um, in fact, in the Raja Yoga commentary of the Bhagavad Gita by Paramahamsa Yogananda, he says the first thing a spiritual seeker or a sadhak needs to have is memory of the good. We remember all the negative, that how can I do this? How can I do that? It's not possible. I can't do this asana or I can't do this spiritual practice. It's not possible. And he tells us to remind ourselves of the days it has happened. There have been days you've woken up at 4 a.m. for a flight. You can wake up at 4 a.m. to do your sadhana as well. Remember the days you've done it, but we won't remember those. So I think deep inside we know which voice to listen to. The only thing is we lean into the comfortable voice. Knowingly, sometimes, most times knowingly. Uh, and so I guess I, I, the easiest way, my what I've learned my practice is to do what is right versus what is easy. These are the only two paths in life. Uh, in Sanskrit, they call it Shreyas and Prayas. What is the right thing to do in this situation? And it could change from person to person, situation to situation. There is no right. Like for in, in the Mahabharat war, for Arjuna, the right thing was to fight. 
But Duryodhana, the right thing was not to fight. So it's never the action that matters. It is based on your frame of mind, your understanding, your growth at that point of time. But you will know what is the right thing to do versus what is the easy thing to do. And I think when you understand that, those voices become immediately easy to decipher. Because always the pull is between these two choices. Oh, it's easier not to. <laughs> or it's easy to do something. Like for those of us that like a strong, fiery practice. It's easier to indulge in that sort of a heavy tapasya because it gives us that kick. But that is the easy thing to do. The right thing is to sit quietly and meditate. <laughs> so I think it, it depends on each person, their personality. Um, but the choice lies only in these, these, these simple things. Mm -hmm. That's such a good reminder that no one else's practice can determine our practice. Like that's where we have to have that uh, raw truth that you were talking about before. We really have to be honest with ourselves with that perfect. That's a good litmus test. What's easy and what's right for me and my practice in this moment at this point in my growth. If it's your, you've been practicing yoga for a few months, you're not going to go and do headstands or those big tricks or maybe you will maybe you've got gymnastics background or something I don't know but you know like in the physical but also in the deeply spiritual I think so often we have a tendency to compare ourselves yeah. to where we are yeah. in our growth absolutely and we compare ourselves at every level uh, something I don't know how we pick this up as kids we do it physically our bodies are not the same oh my god that person is meditating more than me oh my god she looks more spiritual than me the amount of spiritual FOMO that I see sometimes around me is shocking. It's like, how does it matter? Your journey here is your journey. And if it is busy, depend, too busy, dependent on, uh, you know, you're thinking about other people's journey, then there's, you're losing half the time that you can work on yourself. So that's, that's so important that to focus on you, do the work here. That's more important than anything else. Mm -hmm. One of my teachers, Ryan Lear, he says, he always makes up little rhymes and he says, if you compare, you'll despair. And I, I always like stuck with <laughs> I me. love that. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's good. So is there any other signpost to divinity that we can just touch on quickly apart from that? differentiation between your joyful godlike mind so uh the first one is 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 again to be like this the ability to take yourself lightly is mm -hmm. really important and i would say the second thing is so this depends on a personality okay for those of us who are a type personalities who like to control things which i was for me the journey has been to learn to let go and let life flow. I used to be a mad planner. I still can be. And if the planning doesn't happen the way I want it to, it drives me up the wall. Um, in fact, when I first got married, it was such a challenge. Because I was like, oh, you're not exactly as I imagined you to be. You're so different. <laughs> life is never the way you imagined it to be. And there was so much friction. Because as I said, no, I love to plan. My husband is the exact opposite. He, like even for our honeymoon, the night before he asked me, so do you want to go to Mauritius? I was like, you do realize we live in India and you're planning to take a trip the next morning somewhere? And he's like, yeah, why not? 
and to my planner mind it was such a shock and to my system is like how can a human being be this way and then he goes on through the night to book flights and accommodation it was a great trip but this necessity of mine to be a certain way that that i have learned in network and for some of us is the other way right we are too flowy we are too like whatever life will take care of me and for us it's to learn that a little bit of discipline it's like balance you know that middle path that we both need to meet each other at and i sometimes i think that's why i married my husband and he married me <laughs> but even that has been a journey of growth uh, as as my teacher says when you wear a dress that you have to find the right fit it's never too tight or not too loose so not too loose not too tight maybe just right and so may your mind the second sign post of divinity again not be too tight too loose may it be just right whatever it is that life is. so don't get too like about anything huh? um, and it's not about being a doormat so easily to you know misconstrue and say yeah yeah everything is fine it is not it's it's that middle path and it's it, that's why i said no from the other side it's not just laying back and saying yeah life will take care god will help me he will come down and do all my work no it's about finding the middle path so it's the right fit not being too tight too loose and being just right in our adult mm-hmm. life i love that i feel like in my experience of like making efforts to kind of i visualize like hugging the middle path like just kind of hugging in i've actually I'm glad that you said that it's not about being a doormat or being one way or the other. Like I've actually found like such a deep inner power that's come up within myself from just making efforts to find that way of being in harmony and be equanimous when whatever is there, whatever is arising. So I can relate yeah. to that. And it's it's a lot more freeing that way. and i i i tell you this from my perspective because i know the amount of stress i would go through if things didn't happen the exact way i imagined it i planned it and for what it's my journey this lifetime has been to trust the flow of life some days it's very hard but i still try and learn that lesson reminders will come from the universe but that's my journey like whatever is meant to happen will come to you but that's my journey right and it, it may not resonate with somebody else because their journeys are different but that's why it says your the, the size of your pant is different to somebody else's pant is because it fits me i can't give it to you and say wear it so you need to find the right fit for you and that's when you're working towards divinity when you're like oh it's working for that person so i need to do this 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 and then i will be enlightened in 5 days from now no <laughs> you have to find your mix at this point of time as you beautifully said in this journey beautiful and i think too like in that that's where the fruits of the sadhana start to kind of reveal themselves you know as we start to recognize what what is my purpose my path my journey for me in this incarnation you know yeah yeah absolutely so i asked the listeners to write in with questions that they've been contemplating or sitting with And Stuti from Madhya Pradesh asked, "Is the stress to do something big in life worth it?" It's a hard question. The stress is not worth it, but do something big. Not because anyone is watching or is going to appreciate you, but because you can. The flower on the roadside does not bloom whether you are watching it or not watching it, whether it's covered in dust or whether it's eaten by a goat. 
it still blooms because that's its full potential. You do big because it's your potential, because it's what you're cap capable of. But try not to bring the stress of it. The stress normally comes from being attached, like me, to what something needs to look like. What does the big need to look like? It needs to get acknowledged by many people. It needs to be on certain papers. Whatever it is, that's where the stress is. But do you. And if you is big, then go ahead and do it. Like the flower. She blooms for no one. And yet she blooms for everyone. Because she is who she is. So do. Do the big things that you want to. But ideally and hopefully without the stress of it. And I know it's easier said than done. Because we all want that attachment. We want a perspective and a, a picture of what that future looks like. Um, but remind yourself, it's just a picture. It's just a thought. It's not reality. You construct or create reality at this moment. And maybe life or the world has bigger, better plans for you than you could have ever imagined. So whatever the story in your head, keep it. Allow it to elevate your way of being but remind yourself it's also just a thought it's not yet reality remove the stress do the work for sure beautiful i love the flower analogy that's a great one to take away to wrap up i always ask the guests if you could offer our listeners a point of contemplation or question to inquire in their own sadhana what what would you invite them to contemplate Okay, since I started with the story, I'm going to leave you with one. Okay, very simple, small, sweet story. It's a Zen story. Uh, there was a lady monk who goes to a monastery and her teacher leaves her in a library and says, read every book. I'm going to come and ask and check everything. So she spends many days, many months studying, 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 trying to understand every piece of information of the literature of that religion. And she's studying really hard. And the teacher walks in. And then he says, okay, you've spent almost six months here. Time to do a quick test. Opens a book, asks a question, and she doesn't know. So he takes a big stick and knocks her over her head. She's like, oh my God, that hurt. He says, if you want to know, you have to study more. So she goes back to studying. Another six months passes. She thinks she has, she's on top of everything that she's read. And again, the teacher walks in. And this time he asks a question about something that is not in the books in the library. She doesn't know. So she gets another knock on the head. And he says, but this is not part of the syllabus that you gave me. He says, no, learning is learning. You should know everything about everything. So then she's fine. So she spends the morning hours in the library, the evening hours going out and gathering information from other sources so that the next time the teacher comes, she has an answer. And the third time the teacher comes, he asks her something. She doesn't know the answer, gets another knock on the head. She's like, now I've had it. Now I have to know everything. So she sits and studies, 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 studies. Another six months passes and finally the teacher comes and he asks her a question. And when she says, I don't know, he takes the stick to hit her again. And this time she's like, stop, you can't keep hitting me. That is not okay. And said, finally, you're waking up to the fact that no human being, no being will ever have the keys to all knowledge in the world. What you know will always be a drop in the ocean of wisdom. Never get too arrogant about what you know. Remember what we know in this small mind, no matter how much time and effort you put, is a drop. You are a drop in the ocean, but you are also the ocean. But remember that. Never get too arrogant. So everything we know, I, I guess I will leave you with that note is, 
May life be a space of growth. Grow to the sunlight. If that sunlight is your wisdom, it's your knowledge, it's your joy. Grow. Never ever get complacent that, yeah, I know, I have arrived, I'm the greatest. No, it's not. It's going to be a, a journey. Then you will get a whack from life, just like the teacher gave on his student's head. Life will give you a whack and be like, really? Really? You'll have to go back. So just remember that no human being, it's never possible to drink all the wisdom and be full. You'll always just know a small drop. May life just be enjoying the drops of wisdom that come into our lives through this beautiful podcast that Bobby is hosting through the other mediums of wisdom that come into you. The universe will always bring you the right thing in the right time. I love it. Well, this has been a perfect drop of wisdom and joy and just total delight for the listeners and mostly for me. Selfishly, I do this podcast for me so I get to connect with amazing people like you. And yeah, thank you so much for being here. And just to finish, where can the listeners, the curious yogis find you and practice with you if you have anything available online or if they come to India? Please come, come, come to India. If you're a yoga practitioner, teacher, student, this land is your home. So please come. I live in Chennai. It's a little bit of a warm city, but my house is a very warm place. My studio is a very warm place. You're always welcome. The studio is called Chennai Yoga Studio. You can look it up on the website. Uh, and all our information is there. Our classes are available uh, and I'm always accessible. My number is there. My email address is there. And as I told in the very beginning, the Sangha is very important to me. So if I ever hear from you, you will I will make sure I connect with you. So please, please, please feel free to reach out at any point of time. Anything, any questions, any doubts, any disagreements are also okay. So, yeah. Amazing. Thank you for that generosity and offer and just the generosity of this conversation and sharing so sincerely and openly. And my face is kind of like hurting from smiling. So it's, <laughs> per it's perfect. That's a good conversation. Thank you, Bobby. It was such a pleasure. So nice. Um, like, I think like even this conversation is always a reminder for me to do better work, to study harder, to know more, to do more, to help more. So thank you. Really mean it. So thank you for doing this and sharing this with the world. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review. It really helps the show reach more people. If you'd like to have your greatest spiritual questions answered on the show, send them to me through social or email. And don't forget to follow on your favorite streaming platforms. Let's stay curious, connected, and keep walking the path together. Music graciously offered by Heidi Herdaya Groschler. In oneness and delight, this is Bobby signing off until next time.